Good morning. Our speaker today is not a stranger to the pulpit here at Faith, Arthur Sutherland, Dr. Arthur Sutherland, a theology professor at Loyola, which is right around the corner from us on Cold Spring Lane. He's preached here several times, been a member here, and we, we've got a great message. Uh, give attention to him as he speaks the word of God, a message from Philippians, and continue in our sermon series in Philippians as we uh, uh, seek to, to just be a joyful people, a people who fill with joy. So, Arthur, come on forward, and we'll greet you in the name of Christ. And I won't call you a prophet like I did last time, though you are. <laughs> prophetic words, the gift of prophecy, the gift of preaching. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. Good morning. If you could turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's good to be with you again and to enjoy fellowship with you. You've been working your way through the book of Philippians, and I've been assigned perhaps the most famous of all the passages in the book. I'm not sure whether this is a, simply a quirk in the calendar or the providence of God or a poor choice by Pastor Stan. We're going to have to find out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for gathering today to hear this word of Scripture. We pray, Father, that it would become open for us, that we would hear your voice in it. We pray for faithfulness, Father, and we pray for hearts that are renewed. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Uh, before I start, I want to just say a little bit about the, the music ministry team here. I don't know whether you realize it or not. I'm sure you do. But this is one of the finest groups in the entire city of Baltimore. It really is. I'm always blessed when, when, when I hear them. I'm part, to, part of their, their ministry together. Uh, let's look at a couple, of slides, a couple of slides together. Here's the first one. Do you recognize this, this, this plane? What is it? It's the Concorde, right? How do you know it's the Concorde? It's long and skinny and got that, that beak in the front, right? <laughs> when they designed the plane, they spent all the engineers did all this, and then they said, oops, the plane is so long we can't see over the edge. So they had to design it so that the nose tilted down on takeoff, and then once they got in the air, it flipped, flipped, flipped back up, and on landing, it comes, 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 comes back down again. But that's the Concorde. <coughs> It's a turbojet-powered, supersonic passenger 
airline in service from 1976 to 2003. It featured a maximum speed of over twice the speed of sound. I was talking to someone earlier, and he said uh, used to, they used to be able to hear this boom as it flew, right? It broke the sound barrier. But what about the name, Concord? It was given the name Concord in recognition that it was a jointly developed and produced by a French company, Aeropostale, and the British Aircraft Corporation under an Anglo-French treaty. Now, you remember the history of England and France. They've been around for a long time, but they haven't always seen eye to eye, have they, right? Lots of wars, lots of battles. But on this thing, they came together. They said, let's work jointly. And they named the plane that they came up with the Concorde. How about this slide right here? Do you recognize this town? What is it? Concord, New Hampshire. Right? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, in the back, a couple of hands, right? Concord, there's also one. You know it's Concord, but there's, there's the state house in the center, right? And there's a famous New England red barn covered with snow, snow on the ground at least. And then there's their wonderful New England foliage, right? Go up and take trips in October. Always the second, second October in the, in the month is the best time to go. Second, second week of October, best time to go. Well, how did it get its name? It got its name Concord because there were actually two towns side by side and they got into a border dispute. Right? They couldn't figure out where the property was, so the governor, the governor stepped in and said, okay, we're going to just make one town, we're going to call it Concord. Right? How about this, this next slide here? It's a list of colleges across the United States, all, all Lutheran colleges, all called Concordia. Concordia, Wisconsin, Concordia, Texas, Concordia, New York. There's one in, uh, in Alabama, Selma. And then there's one in Minnesota. I've been to that one. Their mascot is called the Cobber. <laughs> Concordia, I was the wrong one. I guess I could, you could have named it anything, but that's what they chose, right? But where did they get this name Concordia from? Well, if we look at this next slide, they got it from these two men. Uh, Martin Chimitz and Jacob Andrea, they were Lutheran theologians in the 16th century. And when Martin Luther died, there were a lot of factions among the Lutheran church. And so the princes in Germany got together and they said, we need to find a way to unify. We want you two, Martin and uh, Jacob, go sit in a room and come out and produce a document, a document of concord. Now, all of these people, all these events, these places, stress the idea of concord, but where does concord come from? Let's look at this next slide. Concord, Concordia, is actually the name of an ancient Greek goddess, Greek and Roman goddess. The, uh, the Romans called her Concordia, the Greeks called her Harmonia. But they were the goddess of, of unity, particularly in marriage, right? And so the philosophy of the ancient world stressed of being in one mind, and this goddess embodies agreement. Concordia and Harmonia recognized the idea of social concord in ancient cities. And she was represented, uh, uh, closely related to Homonia, another goddess called a goddess of like-mindedness. Concept of order and unity, being of one mind or union of hearts. This was the, 
the value, the basic agreed-upon value in the ancient world. If you were to read the history of the Peloponnesian Wars, you would see that the whole history that this the city tells is about conflict right, and how they tried to work out and come to an agreement. Now, according here on her, on her, and she holds this. Uh, olive branch out, right? And so you see her sitting in a chair offering to these. She offers a sacrifice. And then the third one, notice there's just, she's not there, but there's these two hands shaking, right? So the concept is so important now in the ancient Greco-Roman world that you can move from a goddess to a sort of an, a, a value which everyone agrees to, which every, everyone one holds. So many people living in, in the Mediterranean world viewed conflict as the worst and most frightening scenario imaginable. The classical scholar M.L. Finley once noted that for Greeks, faction is the greatest evil and the most common danger. Plato said there are two kinds of war. There's the one that which, calls, which we call stasis. This is a, a standing against, which is of all wars, he says, the most bitter, standing against stasis. And he goes on to say, and I suppose we shall all agree that when we engage with quarrels with foreigners and aliens, that's much milder than the former kind. Isn't that amazing? When you have a fight with your enemy, you take your sword and you whack them, that is milder than what you do with your neighbors. <laughs> Concord. Now, we should not be thin to too surprised that Paul, a man who was familiar with Greco-Roman philosophers, remember he quotes Menander in 1 Corinthians, evil communications corrupts good, good, good manners. He, he quotes, Epi, he quotes Ep Epimenides when he says uh, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. He's familiar with Greco-Roman philosophy. It's not surprising then that Paul should echo in his letter to the Philippians the same concern, the same concern for unity and a dislike of conflict. A quick way to look at this is to turn to Galatians. Now here Paul lists four types of, 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 uh, of sins. There's sexual sins, fornication, impurity, indecency, religious deviation, idolatry and sorcery. But now notice this long list of disorders in the community. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. These are the sins that Paul gets upset about, right? These are the ones that he makes sure that he, he covers them all, right? Enmity, strife, jealousy, not getting along with, with each other. Those right, are the sins that bothers him the most. We can look at it another way. In 1 first, first Corinthians, Paul says, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, 
to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit. There may be lots of different gifts, lots of different abilities, but where do they all come from? The one spirit, the same spirit. Someone has said that sameness, sameness, unity, is the drumbeat of the gospel. The same, the same, the same, the same, the same. We're one, we're one, we're one, we're one, we're one. Urging for unity, then, Paul wants the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel so they may stand firm in one spirit, striving together with one mind for the faith of the gospel. In Philippians 2.2, they are to be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one mind. Philippians 3.15, be of the same mind. Philippians 4.2, be of the same mind. Every chapter, from front to back, emphasizes this idea of unity, of sameness, of agreement, of harmony, of concord. I beseech you, and I beseech you, be of the same mind. Communities are formed through common pleasure. Communities are formed through a common project. Communities are formed by a common character. Whichever it is that forms these communities, they cannot do, they cannot exist, they cannot thrive unless they are one and the same. And it's for this reason that Paul refers to oneness and sameness in Philippians. And it's the same strategy throughout his other letters. This uh, Friday, Friday, um, some friends of the family uh, came over because they're going on vacation. And they brought us some plants that they asked us if we would, we would water. And they also brought us some hermit crab. <laughs> you know hermit crab, right? And now, a hermit crab to me is a hermit crab, right? And I'm very concerned that these crabs thrive. Because <laughs> I don't want these little children coming back from their vacation <laughs> saying, what happened to Sammy? <laughs> right? I, if Sammy uh, passes away, you can be sure that I'm going to do what? Go to, go to PetSmart or the Eastern Shore if I have to, and I'm going to bring back another Sammy. Right? <laughs> the same, the same, the same. Oneness, sameness, and goodwill, that's the language of unity, strife, selfish ambition, vainglory. That's the language of conflict. If Paul is indeed using terms and ideas that are already present in the culture, if Christians in Philippi have, would have recognized these ideas, then is there any excuse for them to not strive for those values? Think, think about it. They walk around Philippi and Macedonia and Corinth and Achaia and Ephesus. They walk around with the coins in their hand that, that, that the whole culture values. Just flip it over. It says, we value harmony, concordia. It's right there. Is there any excuse for them to not? Why then does it keep failing? Why does the church keep falling apart? 
Why is it that Paul says, there must be factions among you? Where is Christian community? Where is, what is, life together? Now, the life together that Paul imagines here requires a real and honest conversation. It is not going to be achieved by accident. It's not going to be achieved by happenstance. It's going to take exercise and hard work to achieve the unity, to maintain the unity that Paul is asking for. And so it would be a good exercise for you to ask yourself about the last time you had a real heart-to-heart conversation with another brother or sister about the significance of Christ's church and what we agree upon. It is this agreement that makes all the difference. It's the recognition that unity is the baseline understanding that we have. Now, it can be a little difficult to, to, to see this, I think, in, in, the, in the translation that, that we read, because Paul uses this if clause, if there is any. But that maybe should be rendered more accurately a sense, since there is. In, in English, it has this sort of possibility or probability to it. But in Paul means it more of as a, as, a, as a reality, as a certainty. I've got uh, two children. Gabrielle is seven, Ethan is four. I've been a very successful parent in, change, in, in, in encouraging them to not open the refrigerator door. Right? Which means that I can put that one slice of pie that's left, I can put it in the refrigerator, and I have a certainty that it's going to be there at 10.30 tonight when I creep down for a pie and ice cream. That's a certainty. That's a reality. Since the pie is in the refrigerator, right, daddy's going to have joy. It's that sense of, of course there is. Of course we agree. Of course we have harmony. Of course we have concordia. For Paul, The ifs don't point to possibilities or probabilities, but to realities and certainties. The life together that Paul imagines comes about through agreement about what the church is and what its purpose is. Now, the world is watching. Just like the Paul, just like the church that Paul was preaching to in Philippi, or was writing to in Philippi, the world was watching them watching to see how they were unified, watching to see how they were in Concord. Concord. This is the world was watching them, the world is watching us. And watching to see how much division and how much strife we have. There's a story told of a man who visited a small town and he decides that he wants to attend church on Sunday morning, so he goes and gets the phone book, that's back when we still use phone books, right? gets the yellow pages and he looks for, for churches and to his surprise, there are only three churches listed in the, in, 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 the, in the phone phone book. But each one of them has decided to describe itself. And the first one says, well, we celebrate the Lord's Supper with multiple cups because we are concerned about hygiene. Right? We don't want getting passing flu germs back and forth. Right? So that's why we use this little 
little small thing. Now the next church says, well, we celebrate this, the Lord's Supper with one cup, because that's the way uh, the early church did it. They had one cup. We all drink out of that one, one cup, like Paul seems to refer to in 1 Corinthians. The last church says, we celebrate the Lord's Supper using one cup, but with a handle. Because everybody knows that a cup has a handle. Well, this sense of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of agreement is just sort of pasted over. It's not a real engagement. With, with, the, with each other's lives. What Paul is pointing to here is to some realities. The key to life together starts with the ability of the church to tell the story of God's activity in Christ. And notice how Paul presents the great sweep of Christ's story. Christ as sovereign, Christ as son, Christ as servant. And he begins it here by saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, let the same mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Now, some people will point, point out the fact that if you, read, uh, if you read John or James or some of the other New Testament letter writers, they will almost always say Jesus Christ. But Paul, more, more likely than not, always describes Christ Jesus. The other writers knew Jesus when he was present on the earth. They knew him as a man. And so they emphasized, son of Joshua, right? But Paul didn't know Jesus this way. Paul meets Jesus after the, after the resurrection, at his conversion, and he sees Christ in glory. And so Paul tends to write, Christ Jesus as he does in Philippians 1.1 or Ephesians 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. When Paul does put Jesus Christ first, when he does put Jesus before Christ, you almost always put something in front of it, the spirit of the Lord Jesus. So the, 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 church, the church here has to be able to tell the grand narrative, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And that story begins with a great renunciation. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it, equality with God, like a robber might hold on to a prize. But he emptied himself and took the form of a, of, 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 of a servant. The key, the key to unity now, Paul says, is letting go of your rights. Like, unlike Adam and Eve, and I think this is in the, in the background of the passage here, who overreach themselves in the garden, right? That's what they do. They overreach themselves. They grasp for what they, for, they, grasp for what they shouldn't. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus lets go of what he already has. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but letting go. And then found his appearance as a man. This is the most amazing part to me. When Jesus looked in a mirror, what did he see? I mean, he sees himself as a man, right? with hair and 
beard and teeth and ears and all. He sees himself as a man. He found an appearance. When you looked at Jesus, you saw God in the flesh. The thinking of Christ, reminding himself every day of the difference between what a God can do and what a human can do. He doesn't take advantage of his position. Christ did not think of his position as something to be held onto, something to be grasped. I think if you want a really good test of your Christian life, you need to just go to Giant. Because <laughs> you're in Giant, and you've got your shopping cart, and it's, all the checkout lines are full. Right? There's a long line, and so what do you do? If you're like me, you angle your cart, right? Because you know if you get the right angle in a few minutes, someone, another clerk's going to come, a line's going to open up, and you'll be able to get there first. Right? You see? What is your theology? want to get there first. That's not Christ. He empties himself and humbles himself. In the Matthew passage that we, that we read, or that was read, read earlier, did you notice how Jesus plays upon his opponent's inability to agree? They ask him this, 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 this question. They're, they're trying to trap him. But Jesus turns, turns it around and says, okay, watch this. The baptism of John, who is it from? Is it from man or from God? And they do what? They instantly begin to disagree with each other. And through that disagreement, their whole life is discredited. He doesn't have to say anything more. They do it for him. Right? Because they could not be of the same mind. They could not agree. Jesse Mercer, the great uh, uh, Baptist leader, uh, president of, uh, founder of Mercer University, uh, to go down to the school, there's a, a little garden and a park set up in, in his, his memory, and around the statue of him are various sayings, little witticisms that he, that he had, people remembered, and they built this memorial park for him. My favorite one is a, a line from him which says, surely, brethren, there are Baptists somewhere who can agree about something. <laughs> this mind of Christ, of, of, of wanting to seek the other's advantage, this is life together. In the last year, um, my roommate that I had right after college, we lived together for several years, uh, he, he called me. And uh, I was expecting that we were going to talk about old times. Uh, Ed was uh, from, from Texas and uh, had a sort of cowboy way to him. And uh, <laughs> the first, uh, first night we had our apartment together, we hadn't unpacked anything, didn't have any dishes. So Ed took a, a can of like ravioli and opened the lid up, took a pair of pliers and set it on top of the stove. No, this is going to be a different living experience, right? When it got hot and bubbly, you took a spoon and ate right out of the can. Right? This is sad, right? We used to get together, and, and uh, Ed, Ed was a man who always, you know, was, who always talked in grand. I was, I'm practical, right? Let's get to the point. Ed was 
large question. Well, finally, I, he said, let's get together and talk. I said, Ed, do you mean, and the only word I could think of was free space, <laughs> right? This, whatever comes into your mind, that's what we're going to talk. Yeah, we're just going to, so we used to do that. Once a week, we'd, we'd get together and, and just free space. <laughs> this is Ed. Not the same type of person I am. Well, he called me. <clears throat> he said, Arthur, I want to tell you that my, my son has died. Landon. Uh, Landon's dead. And he told me the story of how, 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 of how, how it happened. And we talked a little bit about that. You know, we, we free-spaced. We just kind of went where, where the conversation went. Well, last week he called me on the day before the anniversary of his son's death. And we talked a little bit, you know, we, we free spaced. And then he said, Arthur, what did Landon mean to you? Have you thought about him? And I said, Ed, well, I'm building some raised bed gardens in my, my backyard. And I know that Landon had uh, his, Eagle, his Eagle Scout project was building some raised bed gardens for people in wheelchairs, right, with the right height so they could garden. So I, I thought, about, thought about Landon. When I was in my garden last week, I said, now, Ed, Ethan, Ethan is four. And I remember we used to talk about boys. He said, and you said the boys are jumpers. Boys are jumpers. They're always jumping off of something. I thought about Landon when I look at Ethan. And I gave him a couple more ways in which we were of the same mind. Now, the experience of losing a son is not my experience. That's his. And I can't quite enter into the depth of that. But I could relate to Landon's life. And that's real fellowship together. That's what the church is about. It is about being able to have those heart connections. Church is not about coming together and being nice to each other. Smiling in the parking lot. This is not Christianity. Anybody can do that. They did it all over the Roman Empire. They were nice to each other. But they did not know Christ. And if you know Christ, you know something more than just being nice. You know about agreement, about sameness, about unity, about being like-minded. Of not being first in line and giant. Let us be people. Let us be people who strive to have the mind of Christ. Let us be people who will, who will be one-minded about what matters to us the most. Casting aside everything else, which is just so much trivia. Real heart connections among real people, that makes a real church. Amen?